Leanne is a black, trans, non-binary, 22-year-old, first-generation college student who is currently working on their Bachelor's of Arts degree in Integrative Studies with a concentration in Social Justice and Human Rights. Leanne has worked at a nonprofit for the past year, which has allowed them to get a first-hand look at oppression in Northern Virginia. They are still learning about abolition, phobia and things of that nature, and they are excited to learn more. Today we are talking about the crisis of capitalism, poverty and violence, and Leanne's hopeful ideas for a more fair world. This conversation is intended to reopen our minds to the possibilities of the future. This is Utopia. Southwest Virginia, it is the country. Yeah, you already know Swova. Growing up, I saw a lot of, obviously, racism. But then as I got older, sexism, homophobia, and things like that. So I just kind of started, not to sound cliche, but like fighting for the underdog in a sense and those who were oppressed. Yeah, I, I agree for myself. A lot of my passion, you know, comes from fighting for this underdog, the weaker man. And being from Southwestern Virginia, you know, I, I share firsthand like lens and and seat to everything that happens around here, you know. So we've been talking about a lot of like through lines on the podcast. Um, and one of the biggest things that we've been talking about, you know, is this crisis of capitalism. Um, and I think it's clear how capitalism is infused into all of these issues. Can you talk a little bit about how that ties into your work, your interest? I have, I've always been poor, but when I was younger, my family did a good job of like hiding it in a sense, uh, you know, like government assistance, things like that. I never knew that we um, were on or a part of programs like that. And as I got older, you know, your parents start talking to you about money and The thing about capitalism is it spews this rhetoric. The individual is responsible for how they pretty much move up the ladder in a sense. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Because if there's one thing, I'm pretty sure you guys have probably talked about it on the podcast before, but community is necessary. Like individualism, it's not mentally sustainable, nor is it emotionally sustainable. It's easy for me to understand where you're going, but maybe for some listeners who don't have the backgrounds that we have, how does capitalism sort of like thrive on this individual sense? Whereas you were talking more about, you know, we need community. Can you Mm -hmm. expand on that a little bit? So individualism, like I said, it's pretty much picking yourself up by your bootstraps. Like if you want to make it in this world, you have to be the one that does it. Capitalism doesn't really highlight things like oppression, bias and things like that. If a straight cisgender white male is applying for the same job that I'm applying to, and I don't get it because of racism, capitalism pretty much tells me that, oh, well, you just didn't work hard enough for it, or you just weren't qualified. Community comes into play with the fact, if I'm struggling, I have people in my community who can help lift me up in whichever ways I need, whether that be financially or emotionally. I grew up like with this forced idea that was forced upon me that like people who are on government assistance are lazy and don't want to work, you know? But in reality, there's not the endless opportunity there for jobs and for like employment, you know? And so it's not that these people are lazy, it's that these systems can't provide for them, you know? People make it so easy to just slap this label of like laziness on somebody and say, oh, it's your fault, you're poor. But then Mm -hmm. they also don't take into account the societal institutions that produce poorness or poverty 
and they don't take into account like generational poverty. But it's like, it's truly crazy to think about this idea, you know, that we're blaming people for their work ethic and saying, you know, you're poor because it's your fault without addressing these bigger issues, you know? And when you brought up generational poverty, that makes me think of generational wealth too. Um, Because when we look at things like slavery, Black people did not have rights. Slaves did not have rights. If we look at it like it's a finish line, people are already further ahead than descendants of slaves because, you know, we didn't have anything back then. So I think that's important to take into account, too. And capitalism does not take that into account at all. I guess we can talk about how this plays into this like anti-blackness people of color and and black people are you know pointed at a lot for these issues you know they're blamed for these issues that society has placed upon them i can't think of the scholar who came up with it but there's this idea of the welfare queen which is pretty much a black mother who has all these kids so she can get government assistance and that couldn't be further from the truth so how anti-blackness plays into it is really Um, just framing Black people in a way that we're trying to get over. And like we said before, it doesn't take into account slavery and how we're all the way at the back of the line because of this horrible, horrendous thing that happened hundreds of years ago. And like you said, there's been no reconciliation. If anything, there's been more of shame, which I think goes a long way with capitalism and policies and things like that my family, they are capitalists and they do believe that, you know, in order to make something of yourself, you kind of have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps in a, in a type of way. And that's not the case at all. So being taught that from a young age and then coming to college and seeing that that's not the case and that capitalism really was created to keep the rich richer and the poor poor, it has only fueled my thought process around the crisis of capitalism. It's kind of like, you know, you learn these things and then you look at how you were raised and everything and you're like, wow, this is off and this is dangerous and violent. Like capitalism is very violent at the end of the day. Could you elaborate more on what you mean by that? Sure. So basically the violence that comes with capitalism, I think is people will literally work themselves to death just so they can amass some sort of wealth or think that they can amass that sort of wealth. This pandemic has even furthered that. I mean, we see people getting evicted daily because they have no government assistance and, you know, it's causing them to not have a home. And so capitalism is violent in the sense that it doesn't care. Like capitalism does not care. So it really exploits labor. If someone dies, it's just on to the next person. It's not about people, it's about profit and exploitation in a sense. So that's how it's violent. There's like 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds who are like, oh, I just worked a 60-hour work week. And they're like bragging and proud about it. I don't I don't know. I understand like that's that's the grind, you know, and you're making your living and stuff. But it's like you we need to have boundaries in society and for ourselves that are like accepted and the normal, you know. The two-day weekend is something that is like was like fought for. It wasn't just given by capitalists, you know, people had to organize and unions had to fight for like a two day weekend to give people two days off from working. When you were saying violence with capitalism, I I was hoping that people wouldn't start thinking, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go like shoot this person and blah, blah, blah. Like that, that is violence. Yes. And, and there's a whole other system. There's systems that are like produced in capitalism that make that happen. But 
structural violence is huge. This pandemic has, if anything, highlighted all the inequalities that capitalism has produced, that this country has produced, colonialism, imperialism, all that. That's another reason why I'm really happy y'all are doing this podcast, because you can't ignore what's going on in a pandemic. There's no like better time to be having this conversation. You know, I think this is a conversation that's like long overdue. You can't run away from these issues, you know, and, and maybe that's the reason why, I mean, this summer we saw like the huge demonstrations happening with millions of people going to the street, like following the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and countless others. Like people, you know, it's in your face now. You can't, you can either choose to look at it and be part of the solution and figure out some creative way to like fix this stuff or you can turn the blind eye and continue to benefit from these systems you know and that's a big problem that I've had with some of my friends and some of the people involved in my life have this privilege you know of just looking the other way because it doesn't really affect them like their day-to-day lives don't change from this but we are affected you know because as you were saying before like we're a community you know and our lives are all interconnected regardless of if we think they are or not we're all tied back to nature and we're subject to it you know we don't live outside of it and the pandemic is showing us that too you know we can be brought down by a virus (laughs) doesn't take much so I want to expand more on this idea of gender and how this goes along with it. On some of the other podcasts, we've been talking about blurring the gender line and stuff, but do you see like gender connected to this capitalist struggle? Um, I definitely do with the way capitalism has produced these gender norms that we believe, you know, men are the breadwinners. If they're not, they're not a quote unquote real man, which nobody is because gender isn't real, but we'll get into that later. You know, women are supposed to stay at home, be the homemakers and things like that. The binary, you know, man and woman, how we see it in the toy owl by seeing boys toys and girls toys separated, that lets us know that society is pushing this belief that if you go outside of the binary or anywhere in between, that is deviation and that's bad. Yeah. And I really started thinking about who, you know, owns these corporations that are, you know, owning these department stores that we're going into to shop where we see these like examples of the gender binary, you know, and how that helps them in a full circle <laughs> create the society where you live within the binary and then you know, you're either a man or a woman, you go to work for that for that company, or you stay home and take care of kids and produce more workers for their company. I've been thinking of it a lot lately, how, you know, the gender binary is starting to be broken down in our society. But like, there's a lot of good things happening with the non-binary movements and conversations around gender where people who didn't know what non-binary meant, you know, in 2010, now may know somebody who is gender non-binary and lives outside of this norm that they've been living in their entire life but also how capitalists have come in and started to make a profit off of this you know they're supposed to be celebrating all these different types of people and stuff but it's just at the end of the day there's still a corporation you know are they really doing anything to give back to the lgbt community to like help solve this crisis that our society finds themselves in or are they just like giving a face this community to to profit from oh every pride month rainbow capitalism how every single corporation is like here are 10 t-shirts with the rainbow on it 
we love the gay community and then the other 11 months is complete crickets and they're not highlighting you know how many black trans women are being killed every year how many queer kids are being kicked out of their homes like they're not doing anything they're just really trying to profit off of people being queer and trans for one month and I'm sure they bring in probably billions of dollars because of that and then the other 11 months they do absolutely nothing I like am not quick to run to these stores to buy like pride things because I'm not the type of person who like wears a lot of pride things but like people like celebrate this you know and I think it's good to like show your pride and stuff um and to like wear these shirts but like as you were saying, like these corporations aren't like really doing anything for the community. You know, they're using them as a little coin and and token um, and saying, here, we, we see you, we celebrate you. You know, like so many people think like this, like the inclusion of LGBT people on TV and and in movies and all this stuff, like, like that they think that that's progress. But I think progress, you know, is these radical solutions where, you know, we're introducing these ideas where we're putting the community first again and we're no longer gonna like give all this money and assistance to corporations who already benefit off of the backs of working people. And since we're headed into the later half of the podcast, I did want to like pivot now to really focus on this idea of a utopia um, and pick your brain for that. You know, what does a utopia mean to you and what are the things we're striving for? Um, A utopia to me would be a world without, I would say, police, prisons, a world where people didn't have to worry about acting out of fear and out of shame, where people didn't have to wonder where their next meal was coming from, things like that. So a world without poverty, prisons, police, corporations, just all that. When they think of, when people bring up police reform and they talk about body cameras and anti-bias trainings and all the things like this, what they don't realize is that that means even more money to the police funds. A lot of violence that I've seen being committed is because of poverty and because of capitalism. And that's something people don't want to talk about, like burglaries, break-ins and things like that. People are doing this so they can have money to get a meal, so they can provide for their families. They're not doing this because they're like, I'm going to break into this person's house just because I want to. In, um, you know, drug communities where you you have kids who are like 10 years old trying to figure out where their next meal is coming from. They're not worried about school. They're worried about trying to feed their little brother and sister. So they're out here selling drugs. They're not doing it because they want to be cool. They're doing it to provide and to fight against the system of poverty and capitalism. So if I think we can abolish capitalism and poverty, there won't be a need for police, there won't be a need for prisons because there will be such a minuscule amount of violence. So that's my utopia where people don't have to worry about, like I said, how they're going to pay their rent, how they're going to get their next meal. Yeah, I appreciate you pointing that out because I think a lot of the times, you know, when people hear these ideas, you know, of like abolish the police, they get scared, you know, and they think, oh my God, what's going to happen? Like, who are you going to call when you need help? You know, but it's like, honestly, how many times in, in your life, have, in, I mean, in my life, have I called the police because I needed help? I don't know that I ever have, you know? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a white man and I, I wouldn't be comfortable calling the police to respond to a situation because who knows what's going to happen and I don't want to, God forbid, like 
lead them into something that's gonna end terribly you know i understand you know where they're coming from with this idea of like getting rid of the police is scary but that's only if you like look at society the way that like we're taught to you know that there's criminals and people who want to kill and all this stuff like yeah there are some like crazy people out there like let's not forget about those people but like there's a lot more good people in the world out there you know who are forced into these situations as you were saying through capitalist systems because they don't have enough food to eat because they're stuck in poverty and if we address those things that's the way to actually minimize crime you know to minimize harm and violence is to create a system you know that works for people and as you were saying before puts people over profit that's something that I think we've been echoing on the podcast throughout, you know, is we need a society that puts people first, humanity first, the environment first. How would you feel differently? You know, what what sort of brain space does living in this utopia give you? Like what sort of freedoms? A couple of years ago, I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And a lot of that, looking back on it, was produced because of capitalism. I had a work-study job. And financial aid was like, we can only give you $80 every two weeks. And mind you, I have bills. So I was like, girl, that is not helping me. I have a phone bill. I pay my dental insurance. Like, what are y'all talking about? $80 every two weeks. And, you know, I was having a call and ask my family for money. And that I'd never do that because, like I said, I grew up in poverty. And I know certainly if I don't have it, they don't have it. So it was just anxiety and depression fueled by shame. And that's just my story. So I know living in a utopia would definitely help with that because I constantly worry about bills. I constantly um, just have this feeling of like dread. And that is mostly produced because of capitalism. I have anxiety if I just have to drive to the store because I'm like, oh my God, if I get pulled over, that could be the end of my life. So I definitely think that capitalism, police, prisons, those all add to anxiety and depression. And if we were to abolish them, it could make a tremendous difference for me personally. Today, we see like the highest rates of anxiety and depression ever recorded in the world. And I think too quickly where people like push that on to, oh, the rise of social media has contributed to this. You know, everyone's so anxious about their image online and stuff. And like, yes, that is part of it. But we also need to be talking about capitalism and the role it plays in it, you know? On social media, people are seeing all these influencers that work and that's connected to capitalism, right? They're selling products. That is their job. They have a following based on positivity or whatever it is. Um, and if that's how people are making their money, that's how people are making their money, right? Like, got to make money in this world. That's just how the world works. But they're selling things. And then there's people saying, well, I need that to be happy, or I need that to be successful. And then that's where it becomes a problem. Um, so social media itself is just a part of the capitalist society that drives these, you know, the depression, the anxiety, and and that connects in everything else we've been talking about. I didn't grow up in a family that has endless wealth um, or anything, you know, and growing up with a single mom, it, we did struggle a lot. Um, so I'm also aware of these struggles too, you know, and and wondering how we're going to pay next month's rent. And, you know, I can't go to work because I am autoimmune and my doctor's telling me, you know, don't do it. Like, we don't know what's going to happen if you get COVID. I'm like, great. <laughs> Even today we see like, our capitalist government fail to 
like give out money to the struggling people in their country. How is the system so far removed from the struggle, you know, and why? Like there's enough resources and money in the world to meet all of our needs, you know? Hunger should not be a thing. People should not be going hungry in the richest country in the world. It like really boggles my mind and and pisses me off, you know? Because if I were in charge, this shit would not be happening. (laughs) Exactly. And just to go off of that, like for the longest time, I thought that world hunger, I was an idiot. I thought that world hunger was happening because there was a shortage of food. And that's not the case at all. These governments just don't give a fuck. Yeah. And working in the food industry for a while, like I saw firsthand how much food we threw away, you know, how much food is thrown away every day from every restaurant instead of just walking outside and giving it away or taking it down the street to a shelter, you know, like these problems and these problems of poverty and hunger are not unsolvable you know and i think in one of my economics class i was taught like we're always gonna have poverty and all this stuff and like i literally almost snapped on my professors <laughs> luckily he had like pre-recorded his lectures so like i couldn't say anything back to him <laughs> if we were in the classroom i would have went off <laughs> but like these systems are are things that are created you know and we have the resources the earth has the resources and we have the technology to provide for everybody you know, and, and I think it, we get into the territory of like ecofascism thinking like overpopulation is this problem that's driving world hunger. But like that's overpopulation is a problem in itself. Yes, but it's not contributing to the problem of hunger, at least speaking for America, not for the global south um, and developing countries. Something we talked about at the beginning was this idea of the individual versus the community. So Leanne, could you expand What does like the community mean in a utopia? Is there more community spaces? I think there's more community spaces as well as just like, in my head, reassurance goes a long way. So in our utopia, if my car were to break down, because I am a part of a community that helps everyone in that, in that group, I would not worry about my car breaking down on the side of the road. I would know, hey, I can just call this person everything's okay. Financially, we're good. If I look at my fridge and there's no food in there because I'm part of a community, I know that I will have a meal and I will be able to fellowship with someone who sees me as an equal at the end of the day. Like there will be no type of worry or anything like that. It'll just be love, respect, and admiration in this community. I love that my heart got a little warm. (laughs) (laughs) My God, Caleb. (laughs) (laughs) But like, actually, you know, thinking about that, like, And thinking about, you know, as an anthropologist, I always think evolutionarily too, you know, and how for our whole time speaking as a human species on earth, you know, we've lived in these communities and thrived in communities. And it wasn't until, you know, Western culture that we see this huge expansion of individuality, you know, and we're taught you have your own life, you know, you go and you make your own living and you have your own family and stuff. Um, And we've really gotten removed from this. And we don't see community centers anymore. We see like town centers. That's the community that I grew up in in Southwestern Virginia. Like when we were going out, we would go hang out at the mall or go shopping at Walmart or Target or even go shopping downtown. One of the only places that's left in our late stage capitalist society is that you can just go and exist without having to spend money is like the library. You know, those are 
extremely underfunded. And today we're taught like we have to work for everything. And if you're not working, you're lazy, you're not productive. But like, why? Why can't we just exist? <laughs> like, isn't that, isn't that what we're here for at the end of the day is like to figure what what all this means, you know? So thanks so much for joining us. I did want to um, give you a second if you wanted to mention any reading or viewing recommendations for the listener to, you know, this is the beginning of our conversation and I don't want it to be the end. Um, I would definitely say All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. It's this memoir manifesto about this Black queer kid in New Jersey growing up, and it's beautifully written. The other book is called The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor, and it really highlights how ableism forces people who aren't quote-unquote able-bodied to apologize to society for not being able-bodied when that should not be the case and that's also beautifully written i've loved it so far so i'll definitely have to check those out awesome well thank you so much for joining us today um i really enjoyed our conversation and imagining this better world um with you of course i loved it i can't wait to listen to all these episodes y'all are doing really great work Utopia is a lemon jerky production produced by Joshua McLean and Caleb Chrisley. The podcast is edited by Joshua McLean. The jingle was composed by LJ Garcia.